Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004, and of course, the host of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. On a previous podcast, I interviewed Dr. Ross Pelton, who's known as the natural pharmacist, he's from Oregon, about a new strain of probiotic bacteria called Lactobacillus fermentum ME3 that produces, get this, glutathione. Dr. Pelton recommended that our listeners try the Reg Active Detox and Liver Health product, which substantially boosts glutathione levels. Some of our listeners have tried this particular product and are reporting substantial and noticeable benefits. Ross and his company, Essential Formulas, um, would be very interested to hear from any of you who have experienced benefits from taking uh, detox and liver health with the ME3. So um, Ross has asked me to make the announcement. Please email Ross with your uh, comments and your testimonials about your reactions to using that particular new product. It's brand new on the market. We have little direct evidence, and so this is going to help him and his company be able to sort through uh, the actual impact that this is having on people. So email Ross at Ross, R-O-S-S, at naturalpharmacist.net. So the word natural, N-A-T-U-R-A-L, pharmacist, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T dot N-E-T. My guest today, I'm honored and pleased to announce, is Dr. Bob Stahl, who is the director of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Programs located in California. Dr. Stahl has conducted numerous programs for physicians and healthcare professionals and is a long-time practitioner of mindfulness meditation. Dr. Stahl, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the radio program today. Hold on. I've got to click Dr. Stahl in. Dr. Stahl, thank you so much for being on the radio show today. (laughs) Thank you. Great to be here. So tell us all about yourself. Oh, I'm. Um, I live in Northern California, married to wonderful uh, young men, sons, and uh, I've been practicing mindfulness meditation and meditation practices for uh, over 40 years at this point. And I um, am a student of meditation first, and I also teach mindfulness-based stress reduction at a few different medical centers, as well as I teach mindfulness meditation retreats around the world, as well as do a lot of teacher training, teaching teachers to become mindfulness-based stress reduction teachers nationally and internationally through the Center for Mindfulness at University of Massachusetts Medical Center. So can you say a little bit more about your background? This is quite fascinating for listeners. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the East Coast, I think maybe significantly as it relates 
to mindfulness. At one point in my life, I lived in a Burmese Buddhist monastery, a short time in Burma, but most of the time we founded a monastery in Northern California where I lived for eight and a half years, not as a Buddhist monk, but as an I helped care for the monks, and I also practiced very intensively um, you know, during that time. And, of course, um, mindfulness now is part of my life. But I did live in a Buddhist monastery for eight and a half years. And then later, as I say, entered the advanced training of getting married and having children. Many people have heard the term mindfulness, but really don't know much about what it is. What is mindfulness? So mindfulness actually um, its actually a universal quality of learning to be more present, aware in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life. And, of course, uh, ancient Buddhist meditative traditions, particularly in the Theravadan school, which means the way of the elders, they have used and practiced mindfulness for nearly 2,600 years as a pathway of gaining more wisdom and more compassion. So it sounds like this is not a new idea. (laughs) No, mindfulness practices have been around uh, for a long time, and, and it has universal applications. One does not need to be a Buddhist to practice mindfulness. And the practice of mindfulness is learning to become more present in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life. John Lennon, the Beatle, once offered a little antidote saying, life is what happens while we're busy making other plans. And isn't that the truth at times when we might be sitting here now, but we're thinking about what we're going to be having later for, for dinner or what we did yesterday or what we want to do tomorrow. And so in mindfulness training, we're learning to become more present to direct experience in the moment as it's happening. People who experience Parkinson's symptoms are overwhelmed at many times with having to deal with those symptoms. How would mindfulness help them live better? Yeah, this is a very important question. Thank you, Robert. And You know, I will just say that in my early years, I've had a lot of experience working with those living with Parkinson's disease, as well as family members whose loved ones are living with Parkinson's disease. Um, A number of years ago, I worked at what was called the Cabrillo College Stroke Center in the Santa Cruz area in California. But at the Stroke Center, even though it was called the Stroke Center, the students that came to this um, educationally-oriented therapy programs. There was a number of people with Parkinson's, also multiple sclerosis, traumatic brain injury, strokes, other neurological orthopedic conditions. So I had the opportunity to actually do a lot of teaching of mindfulness to those living with those um, challenges, and, you know, particularly with Parkinson's. And so um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about this. And, you know, I will say first that, You know, mindfulness practice helps us to have a choice in how to respond to the stresses that we're living with. So I'll I'll start by just quoting Viktor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist, an Austrian psychiatrist, also um, a concentration camp survivor. 
he has a beautiful quote. He says that between the stimulus and the response is a space. And in that space lies my freedom to choose. So what that's pointing to is that in every given moment, there's a possibility that we can begin to choose a much more constructive way of dealing with the stresses or the challenges at hand rather than a non-productive way. So mindfulness helps us to respond to situations in a more skillful way. There's a, an old story of um, you walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. This is from a poem called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Patricia Nelson. And she says, I'm walking down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, it takes a long time, but I finally get out. That was chapter one. Chapter two, I'm walking down that same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in again, I see where I am, it's my fault I get out quickly. Chapter three, I'm walking down that same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in again, it's a habit you know, this is kind of what I do. Chapter four, as we become more mindful and aware, I walk down that same street with a deep hole in the sidewalk, and I walk around the hole. Chapter five, I walk down another street. So no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> so I just want to say, no doubt, living with Parkinson's is not easy. I'm not going to negate the challenges that one lives with living with Parkinson's. And I think what I'm interested in supporting is how do we optimize our mindfulness, our mind, to begin to respond in more wiser ways to the challenges that we're living with rather than in reactive ways. For example, if I'm having some difficulty with my walking and I'm beginning to get much more irritated and more upset about it, or perhaps I am walking but my balance is not too good, but if I'm not paying attention I could potentially trip and fall. It may be very well worth a while to become mindful, to realize, okay, I'm having a little difficulty right now. Let me slow down. Let me actually even be aware of lifting my foot as I'm lifting my foot and placing it down as I'm placing it down, being more mindful. I remember once at the Strub Center, a woman who was a student there, she was saying, you know, this mindfulness stuff is keeping me out of a nursing home. And I said, what do you mean? And she said to me, look at me, I'm an old lady. In the middle of the night, I have to get up and go to the toilet and pee. And so I have to walk there with my walker. And every step of the way to the toilet, I'm mindful of walking as I walk. And so in this way, I'm not going to fall and end up breaking my hip and ending up in a nursing home. So she used to talk about the practicalities of being present and helping her to keep safe to take care of her bodily needs. What a wonderful story. So you've had a lot of contact with persons who have these types of challenges, and your observations have people found that mindfulness does lead to a reversal of symptoms. Well, what I'm saying is that it leads to a reversal of living better with your illness rather than worse with your illness. So I'm not going to claim at all that mindfulness is going to um, cure Parkinson's, but then if we look at the difference between healing and curing, is there a way that I can begin to respond to my illness with greater wisdom and compassion and also take care of myself, be mindful of, to keep myself safe rather than being in a place of, of, of being reactive and potentially uh, 
because of that reactivity, perhaps living it in such a way that, that is maladaptive, that is not healthy for my lifestyle. So what I want to say is that I believe that mindfulness can offer us a choice to respond more wisely to the illness that we're living with rather than reacting unmindfully, born out of these old patterns of living that can actually be detrimental in living with that illness. Rather than fall into the hole in the street, we actually do take another street. Exactly. How can I become wiser? Right. People refer to mindfulness as a practice, mindfulness practice. Does, in this case, practice really never make perfect? Do you have to keep practicing for the rest of your life mindfulness? Well, we'll consider maybe a better word to use. Mindfulness is a way of life. And it can be practiced in a couple of different ways. And one way is doing some formal mindfulness meditation practice, whether you're sitting in a chair or lying in a bed, and to actually purposefully take a little bit of time out and become mindful of the breath, mindful of the body, be mindful of what's present inside you. So there's some formal practices like a body scan meditation that methodically goes through the body part by part, acknowledging what you're feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally. There's also sitting meditation practices. And so these are like formal practices. And then we call the other component of practices called the informal practices. We were trying to bring our mindfulness into our day-to-day activities. So, for example, that story of the woman being mindful with her walker walking to the toilet is an example of bringing mindfulness into day-to-day activities. Or, for example, if there's some challenges with eating, and so perhaps slowing down, becoming mindful of actually putting the food in your mouth, being mindful of chewing as you're chewing, tasting as you're tasting, swallowing as you're swallowing. So you're optimizing your attention to be present indirect experience of what's happening in this way, this could potentially prevent accidents from happening, but also enjoying the moment. Wow, this strawberry really tastes good. Or sitting with my grandkid or with my beloved and really appreciating their presence because I'm actually there for them. So mindfulness is a way of life. And um, so I don't know, you, you, you can say, yes, you're practicing it for the rest of your life, but it's You know, it's a practice, and we will not be mindful every single moment, but the beautiful thing about this practice is that the moment that you realize that you're not present, you are present. And then the practice begins right then and there. And to be honest, that's where the rubber meets the road because we only live in the present moment. The future has not yet come. The past is gone. Why not be here? A friend of mine said once, as she looked at the workings of her mind when she began practicing mindfulness, that she noticed that it was often going in two modes of operation. And I said to her, what are you talking about? And she said, my mind is either it's rehearsing about the future or it's rehashing about the past. And so no doubt at times we need to plan ahead, of course, and we also need to remember the past, but so often we're missing what's happening now. So we're beginning to bring more attention to what's happening in the here and now, and potentially how can I respond in wiser and more compassionate ways. Some listeners with Parkinson's symptoms tell me that they've given mindfulness a trial run, but they get bored with it. What is your response to them? Boredom is something that comes up 
in mindfulness practice because boredom comes up in life. And so I think in the spirit of investigation, I would invite anyone to bring some investigation qualities. When we when people say that in the meditation practice, we'll invite them to then why don't you just bring your awareness to boredom and and become mindful of what you're experiencing there. How does that feel physically, mentally, and emotionally? What is it that somehow has determined in you that you have now decided that this moment is not measuring up to your expectations on how you think life should be? And to really become curious about what's actually going on under the hood. Otherwise, we are continually turning the channel, trying to entertain ourselves, trying to divert ourselves from our suffering, from our pain. And, you know, you can run, but you can't hide because no matter how much you turn away, it follows you to the ends of the earth. And so we're actually, in mindfulness, becoming more interested in what's here. What is it about this moment that I'm feeling bored? And we might discover that underneath that feeling of boredom is, is a very rich area of unacknowledged feelings and emotions that we want to begin to bring attention to so that potentially we can begin to heal ourselves and potentially to begin to feel more contented. Often contentment, contentment if you think of it, is one of the greatest of wealth. And with contentment, there, what falls away is any types of wantings or any types of not wantings. And what is it like to actually begin to feel more contented within your skin, flesh, bones, and being? Does it help people to become more mindful when they are around other people who are mindful? Sure, it can be helpful, and um, perhaps we'll begin to appreciate each other more because we're really present with each other. You made a reference to issues of, for example, planning out your day or what comes next. So in a practical sense, if you always are remaining in the present moment, how do you find any time to plan out your day? Thank you for asking that question. That question comes up a lot. And I also mentioned that I wasn't saying that we can't plan ahead or remember the past, but if that's all we're doing is rehearsing and rehashing, we are missing our life. That's why John Lennon said life is what happens while we're busy making other plans. So, yes, at times we need to purposefully plan ahead. Otherwise, there'll be no milk in the refrigerator. And so, and so yes, let there be planning, but so let us just be mindful that we have to go get some things and so forth. It doesn't mean that we can't plan ahead, but sometimes if we're unmindful, the planning or the thoughts begin to circle around into anxiety, to rumination, to remorse, to all types of to worries. And so we're just trying to be more mindful of what's present in our mind and our body. Certainly there's room to plan the future. Otherwise, again, we may not have any food in the refrigerator, so let's be practical and real. Some listeners of the Parkinson's Recovery radio shows have serious interest in research and scientific evidence. What evidence is there that mindfulness reduces stress? Is there any? Yeah, there's a, there is so much research being done on mindfulness in the last 35 years, and the scale of it from 35 years ago to go now has gone up astronomically. And so, you know, maybe one place to point to is to go to the 
University of Massachusetts Medical Center and to the Center for Mindfulness website, and they have on their website um, numerous studies and research about the efficacy, the benefits of mindfulness in working with stress, pain, and illness. So the, the mindfulness-based stress reduction is a is evidence-based. It's the most evidence-based mindfulness re, uh, program around, and it continues to be investigated. But let me also just say this to be very important, is that you know when we speak of mindfulness, we're speaking about healing, that the coming into terms with the way things are with a greater sense of wisdom and compassion. You know, sometimes people, when they become mindful, they're able to potentially lower their blood pressure because they're becoming more aware of the stresses and helping to regulate themselves, but sometimes not. And I really want to be very clear that we're talking more about healing and because, you know, the death rate in our world is one per person that will not change. And how we live our lives, how we live our interpersonal relationships with others, how we be with ourselves with greater wisdom and compassion is some of the deepest healing we could ever embark upon. And so mindfulness, to me, is a very powerful healing agent to gain more wisdom and compassion to be able to live better with the illnesses that we're living with and to potentially to die better with the illnesses that we're living with. We live with a more peaceful heart. We forgive those that have hurt us. We we offer apologies to those that we have hurt. We balance the ledgers. We make more peace with ourselves and with others in this world. From your experience, is it the case that people with Parkinson's symptoms reduce their stress using mindfulness? I believe that's true in the sense that maybe they're able to manage it more, they're able to respond to it more constructively rather than reacting to it in ways that are counterproductive because we're optimizing the power of our mind to respond in more constructive ways. And it will take a practice, and at times we will forget, we will have amnesia, this is to be understood, and again, the moment that we realize that we've been reacting, we can begin to respond in a more constructive way. We've talked a little about boredom. Some uh, individuals who uh, email me and give me calls say that being mindful is not interesting to them. Do you have any reactions for them? I, I would just invest, invite them to investigate what does interesting mean. What what are you deeply longing for? Are you longing to not be here? Is the pain just too much that you just can't be with it? And maybe that's sometimes the important thing is is to distract ourselves, is to go watch The Honeymooners or I Love Lucy. I mean, sometimes distractions can be very helpful. But there's an old saying, too, that you can run but you can't hide, and sometimes I have to also ask when someone says it's boring, it's interesting, is, is the pain just too great to, to be with right now? And maybe it is, and maybe it's skillful to do something else, and maybe at times it might be valuable to begin to meet the pain, the emotional pain, the physical pain, to begin to befriend, to begin to bring acknowledgement to places within us that are unacknowledged. You offer courses through your center. Tell folks about your courses. 
Well, I, I offered El Camino Hospital and Dominican Hospital uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. These are eight-week programs that meet once a week for two and a half hours. And the sixth week is a day-long session that's seven hours long. And these programs of mindfulness-based stress reduction are modeled after the programs that were developed by John Kabat-Zinn, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. Mindfulness-based stress reduction, or the acronym MBSR, are found all over the United States and all over the world. Many, many hospitals offer these mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. I've been offering them here in Northern California since 1991, and um, and I continue to offer these as well as, of course, I do teacher trainings all over the world as well as I teach insight mindfulness meditation retreats all over the world. Our listeners come from countries across the globe, so it sounds like you go many places and many countries to offer these types of courses. How would people learn more about where you're going to be and what you're going to offer? Well, actually, on my website, mindfulnessprograms.com, there's actually um, on the top, there's various buttons, and one is about uh, retreats and so forth. So you click that and find uh, where I'm going, but you know, there is. I, I mean, I've, I've done mindfulness training in New Zealand, Australia, China, France, Spain, Africa, Brazil. I mean, Europe, different places in Europe. I mean, just all over the world. Are, I would suggest for those of you that are in different countries to maybe use a search engine. And um, I say Google in some areas, but in China, there's no Google, so you just do your search engine wherever you are in and in search for mindfulness-based stress reduction. And you probably will find in most countries of the world, um, in every continent of the world, there is mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. Maybe not every single country, but that's growing all the time. Once again, and also I will say that I'll say one other thing is that also mindfulness-based stress reduction is offered online. So you could also do a search engine for that so that I have a friend of mine in Chico, California that um, offers online mindfulness-based stress reduction. His name is Steve Flowers and uh, it's live and he, he has people from all over the world that are doing this online. The technology, if you have a high-speed internet, you you could get access to do um, uh, an online live mindfulness-based stress reduction class as well as there's a um, beautiful mindfulness-based stress reduction program that's offered through um, uh, the University of Massachusetts Medical Center that, that offers uh, an, an online program. It's not live, but you still can take it. So there's a number of different options that one can do. I'm Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My host today is Dr. Bob Stahl, whose website address is www.dot and then two words that are joined together mindfulnessprograms.com and so that's spelled m i n d f u l n e s s p r o g r a M S dot C O M. 
Dr. Stoller is the author of a number of books that have quite fascinating titles. For example, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook, Calming the Rush of Panic, a Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook for Anxiety, Living with Your Heart Wide Open. And on the radio show page, there are links to several of these books. You can, I'm sure, acquire a copy from Amazon if the link is not present. Do you have any one of the books that you have authored or co-authored, Dr. Stahl, that you would recommend to persons who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms? Yeah, I actually would recommend any one of them, but I think that the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook or the one, the workbook on anxiety, it will come with audio um, meditations, actually, twenty-one over 20 different guided meditations that people can interact with, which is very helpful in working with the workbook. And so any one of those is good. I mean, you know, that, and I actually wrote a, a fifth book called MBSR Every Day, which is a small... Um, very lovely book on bringing mindfulness-based stress reduction practices into day-to-day life. But I think that the mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook for um, is good as well as the mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook for anxiety in that it accompanies audio practices that you can work with in your day-to-day life as well as a workbook to interact with. Well, there's no doubt about it, Dr. Stahl. You are a true pioneer when it comes to the whole subject area of mindfulness. Your work is quite amazing. Thank you so much, and I really deeply appreciate, Robert, all that you're doing to bring more understanding, awareness, science, psychology, all that you're doing to uh, the Parkinson's community, those living with Parkinson's and those with family members that have Parkinson's. So thank you for all your work. Well, you're you're welcome. It's an honor and a privilege. So, as we think back on the many different questions that have been asked and the subjects that have been covered for listeners, is there's one important take-home point from this particular program that you want people to be sure and remember, the bottom line, so to speak. Yeah. Well, actually, how about this? How about we spend about few, a few seconds just sitting in silence, being mindful of the breath, and then I'm going to end with a, an exquisite couple of lines from a poem from Pablo Neruda, Chilean poet, called Keeping Quiet, where he speaks about what is the value of stopping. And so this, this poem might speak to the value of why we practice meditation. Is that all right? That sounds great. So we'll just say, everyone, wherever you are, sitting or lying in a position that you can be comfortable and alert, and just taking a few moments to just become mindful of your breath. And what that means is as you breathe in, being aware that you're breathing in as you're breathing in, and breathing out and breathing, being aware that you're breathing out as you're breathing out, breathing normally and breathing naturally. Sometimes in the silence, you might find your mind wandered away, and once you recognize that it wandered, coming back to the breath in with awareness and out, being present.
Just being present with yourself, feeling into your body, how you're sitting or lying, and just acknowledging any physical sensations that are there. Also acknowledging if there's any thoughts and emotions and just letting them be. Nothing you need to change or fix. Feeling into your own body and mind and acknowledging what's present. And so I'll end now with um, this, these beautiful lines from a poem called Keeping Quiet by the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. It speaks of the value of meditation. He says, if we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps this huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us when everything seems to be dead in winter and later proves to be alive. Thank you all very much. Many blessings. Dr. Stahl, on behalf of the many thousands of listeners of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be on the radio show today. Thank you. It's an honor, and uh, thank you very much, Robert. And that's what's happening on, you guessed it, the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the simple fact you are listening to this radio program today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. Many blessings. May you have a spectacular week in this wonderful January month. Good day. <laughs>